This is Tom Carvel, and a spoonful of podcast is my favorite podcast. I listen to it every week when the family and I are sitting down to enjoy a Fudgy the Whale or Cookie Puss. Welcome to A Spoonful of Podcast where we dive into the magic of Disney destinations, searching for a great big beautiful tomorrow. Broadcasting from the backside of water. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 161 of A Spoonful of Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Dickens. We're with my co-host, Brian Galloway. Brian, how are you doing tonight? I am doing great. It's a... The fall is coming. the The, the weather is changing in New Jersey, and um, that it's it's interesting. A lot of people throughout the United States don't have the seasons like we do, but it really is. And I'm pretty excited because we have a person tonight from New Jersey, um, which is which is always interesting because we always tend not to have people from New Jersey. Um, and you guys, except you, you make fun of me. Yes, I, but we do. Tonight. Oh, I do, and I will. And I'll give a little little uh, intro here. Um, I we have we're we're very honored to have. Mike Brennan come um, to join us today. Now, Mike, um, I, I have met Mike through a couple different ways through the thing. We also um, went to see the uh, Walt Disney exhibit at, at the Franklin Institute, but um, he also has, he's also, he also runs dailycreativehabit.com and, and I got to see him present, um, which was amazing. It's an amazing experience. If you haven't gone to see him again, we'll talk about this later, but you know, I, you know, it, he's definitely worth, seeing he, he's a great presenter and he just recently uh, published a book and we will talk about that too at the end but um mike welcome to the show and we're really really happy that you got to come and join us thank you i appreciate it and as far as the jersey thing you know if you need me to lay that on a little thick for you brian tonight so we kind of have <laughs> brothers in arms you know, yes, forget about it. We could do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know a guy. I know a guy. You know, <laughs> you know a guy. And you know, and, and you know something. No. He does like Tom Carvel and Fudgy the Whale, and that's another another bonding thing that we had when yes. they were talking about that with uh, Terry Weaver. We were talking about. Yes. We we're explaining to him what Fudgy the Whale was, which he had no idea. So, uh, Fudgy, rest in peace. That's, that's beyond my knowledge, right there. <laughs> beyond or beneath, whichever one. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, so Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about like, um, you know, what your, your childhood, what, how Disney shaped a couple of things of what you do in your career or, or things that you remember, um, you know, that tried to, you know, maybe gave you some inspiration going forward. Sure. Yeah. So, um, just for introduction purposes too, in case anyone doesn't know, uh, my background is visual art, graphic design, but also illustration. And so, um, you know, as a kid, I did a lot of drawing and, and loved comics and loved, you know, comic strips and watched probably way too much TV. Um, but a lot of that stuff informed me, informed my taste, informed um, just styles that I liked and gravitated towards. And then honestly, storytelling and Disney, of course, you know, I mean, that was everywhere when I was a kid, um, you know, from earliest memories of 
uh, actually a painful memory, uh, <laughs> which was Dumbo. Because when I was a kid, my ears were really big. And uh, there was, you know, of course, taunting that would happen in school, people calling me Dumbo because I hadn't grown into my ears yet. Um, but, you know, wow. there was a certain amount of like I, I resonated with that character in that movie uh, because of that. And then, you know, there were other things of like, um, I remember having a Viewmaster. Um, you guys, you guys remember what oh, those I are? love them. I love right? Viewmasters. Yeah. Okay. So had Viewmaster with the discs that you put in and then you click the thing and you look click through the side. It, okay. Yeah. Exactly. I'm with you now. Yeah, yeah. So I had a bunch of those that were Disney related to, I believe it was based on some animation shorts that they did. Um, I remember it was like Mickey and the Beanstalk kind of thing. Uh, something with a clock tower. Those are probably um, worth so much money right now. You know, I wish I still had them. I know. I know. Um, but I remember that being part of like toys and things that I had, of course. Um, and then I had this one thing too, that was called a, uh, roto draw disc. And basically it was like all these shapes that were cut out of this disc and you would put a push pin in the middle and you would find number one, right? Cause each one of these little pieces had numbers to them, kind of like a connect the dots kind of thing. And you would make a mark, like a little hash mark where one is, and then you'd fill in that shape and then you would move the disc, you like spin it to number two, fill that in and so on and so forth until you went all the way around completing all the numbers on this disc. Then you would pull the thing off the page and it would reveal whatever character that this disc was. And so the weird thing is that this particular um, set of discs I had, it was kind of cross licensing, I guess, um, because there was Fred Flintstone. There was, um, I feel like a bunch of other characters and there, and there were Disney ones. I remember vividly. It was like goofy. Cross licensing. Yeah. They don't yeah. do that now. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, you know, everybody stays in their own universe unless there's a multiverse thing happening, which, you know, yeah. then there's all sorts of other things that happen. But it was interesting because this, even at an early age, it taught me like, oh, I could fill in these shapes and I didn't have to like have the ability to draw Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck or, or Goofy. Um, but I could do it by filling in these shapes and then reveal the thing at the end. And so it, it taught me kind of almost like in a weird way to deconstruct some of these characters and see how they were formed, um, mm. you know, not to get too nerdy about it, but it was a really interesting exercise. And I still have those discs I'm hanging on to them because I'm sure they're worth money. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, it was always a, a connection for me that led back to a lot of these characters. And then of course, you know, visiting Disneyland, uh, Disney world, I should say, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm on the East coast, um, Disneyland, I hadn't gone to actually until a couple of years ago. And uh, it was fun to see the differences and, and, um, also similarities, but Disney of course has always been a part of things, whether it's vacations, whether it's entertainment, there's, there's been that narrative that has been woven into culture and into things that I've come across, um, in, in art and outside of art, just even in entertainment. So how is, you know, is there a tie in to Disney helping you launch your professional career? Um, I mean, not necessarily directly, but I would say that, um, certainly, you know, Walt Disney pursuing his dream and, you know, really the whole journey and entrepreneurial side of things. Um, there is a lot there that resonates and, 
you know, pursuing things and starting small, right? It's starting all with a mouse. I mean, you know, when you have these ideas of, of a business or something you want to launch, you're starting small and you don't really know what is going to happen and you're hoping for the best and you're trying to surround yourself with people who can help um, just like, you know, he had his brother and, and others, but you know, that story is very encouraging and there's leadership principles, of course, that are extracted from that as well as creative ones, you know? Um, and then when you get into, of course, his roster of artists and um, just their, their work and their work ethic um, and the rules in which they, they created by, I mean, all those things factor in, in some sort of way or another, even if it wasn't just a singular influence that was there. Right. And it's it's very interesting to me to have someone like a Walt Disney who not only was himself, you know, an artist and surrounded himself by artists as well, but was such a um, a pioneer in the business world. You know, oftentimes you don't have those two worlds meshing together very well. You have some people that are crazy creative and they're just masters in an art form, but are not so good on the uh, the business side of things, right? The the analytical, the the money, yes. you know, not very many artists are over a P&L statement. You know what I mean? So right. <laughs> you have uh, that, and that kind of lives on one side. Then the other side, you have the business-minded people. And they just, th- those two worlds don't mesh often. And when they do, you get a lot of really cool, you know, crazy creatives out there, like probably yourself and, you know, some, and other people that I look up to because <laughs> my brain is not wired like that. I cannot draw worth a lick at all. Um, I enjoy, I've done some graphic design in the past because of how my brain is set up analytically and in the business world kind of things. And I I can look at stuff and see, oh, that pieces together, that doesn't piece together, that looks good, that doesn't look good, that kind of stuff. Just, and I do Mm -hmm. enjoy creative writing and I'm, I, I, I enjoy, you know, being a wordsmith and kind of writing kind of, I've not done it on the side in a long time, but anyways, you don't see those two worlds meshing a lot. So being someone like a Walt Disney is kind of a dime a dozen. You just don't see those two personas, you know, in the same space, but also being so successful in that space as well. Plus he was mm-hmm. a leader. Plus he was a leader. And I think that's the one thing, you know, another thing too, is what you said, people, people followed him blindly, good and bad, I mean, but they did because he was that type of a guy that once they started working for him, they just were like, okay, you know, if Walt's doing this, we'll do it. Cause you know, they went through, they went through some tough times there money wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they, you know, those, but those people stayed with him most, at least most of them did. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's something in there too about, you know, it's cause he had vision. Right. And I think that's where being an artist or someone who's creative and having a vision, being able to explain what that vision is and cast it to other people. And then, surround yourself with the right people too. Like all those are are huge parts of that. And I think when creative people, they do themselves a disservice when they think, well, I'm not business oriented or I'm not good with numbers or I'm not, you know, they, they start labeling themselves mm-hmm. as far as yep. what they can and cannot do. And then really it becomes, okay, so I'm hiding in my studio or, or wherever I create and I'm doing my thing and maybe I'll put it out into the world and maybe I don't. Um, but I'm always going to be shackled with this sense of like the struggling artist. Right. And I think the way to rise above that is to understand that you're not just an artist, but you're also an entrepreneur. You're a business person. 
and you're a marketer, you're, uh, you know, you have to have all these tools in your tool belt to be able to be successful in this realm. Um, because otherwise you're going to find that you're lacking in a certain place. And if you don't have people around you to help you with those things, then you need to learn those skill sets to be able to do those things. Absolutely. That's, that's the, uh, the innovation and the, um, mm -hmm. the go get you side of, of, of your, or go get them kind of that drive. That's the word I was looking for. So, but, you know, and, but yeah, quickly, just for right. that first point, what I was saying is, you know, just because those two worlds are like that to your point, Mike, doesn't mean they have to be right. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean you have to be on one side of the spectrum or another. Use your, your strengths to help strengthen your weaknesses. So that's a great point. What were you saying, well, Brian? So being visual. So this is a very interesting thing because one of the things with Mike is that, that, um, one of the at the at the thing conference or probably other conferences that he goes to, but one of the badge of honors that people get is when when Mike draws a, a, a you know, creates a drawing of you up on stage or something like that, where it's like everybody like people get that and he does it. And he, it, it to me, it's always cool. I like to see who you know which one, who's up on stage and like who is he drawing next. Um, that's pretty interesting because he's very visual. So Mike, how? And again, we'll talk about your book later because we'll, we'll go deeper into it. But I just want to ask, this is my question to, to follow along with what we're talking about. So you had to change a little bit to write a book where you're mostly visual, right? So mm -hmm. you have to go into a situation where now you have to get into the mental capacity writing to try to create that visual in the person's mind as opposed to on a, on a piece of paper. So how, yes. how different was that for you? Um. It was very different as far as a process, but I'll be honest with you. Like, I think in, in this journey of mine, this creative journey, there was early on, I used to feel like I was at odds with various creative expressions that I was interested in. Hmm. In other words, if I was pursuing visual art, then the side of me that was a musician was like, Hey, you know, I'm not spending much time in that category. And I feel like I'm, I need to, you know, stop spinning this plate and go over there and start spinning that plate. And I would have all these outlets and all these endeavors that I would want to do, but they all felt in competition to each other until I started to realize that like those things are actually all part of me and they're not in competition, but they're expressions of my creativity. And so it's still me, regardless of whatever it is that I'm doing creatively, um, so I need to be able to do this in such a way that I'm not feeling fragmented, but I'm seeing it this holistically. And so that enabled me to move in and out of some of these creative expressions. And for, for writing, I mean, I love expressing my ideas. I used to take a lot of writing courses in school. And even as a kid, I remember sitting in front of a typewriter pretending I was writing a, a, a novel about aliens or something. Um, and it's funny because I told myself, well, I'm not good at grammar. I'm, I'm terrible at spelling. So therefore I'll never be a writer. Um, but those stories that we tell ourselves, sometimes we carry them too long. We never really unpack the lies there. And so more recently I had to confront those things in myself and say, you know, I really enjoy writing and I'm not quote, just a visual artist. I'm actually a creator and I create using multiple uh, avenues. I love and that. And so one of those avenues right now is the written word and it's communicating ideas and it's sharing thoughts. And I say, you know, 
what is the best forum for me to be able to express these ideas and thoughts? If it's something that's that lends itself to a visual medium, then I'm going to lean into that. If it's something that's written word, then I'm going to lean into that. Or if it's a podcast, I'm going to lean into that. So mm-hmm. I've learned to look at all these things, not as competition, but rather as tools and trying to figure out what's the best way to communicate what it is that I'm trying to tell others or share with them. And then go about doing that. And so for for me to write this book, this is my first like written word book. I've had other books that were illustrated. Uh, the process was very different because I couldn't lean on all my usual go-tos of illustration. There's of course some illustrations that, in the book, but it's not mainly that. And so I had to think, okay, how am I going to structure this? What are the, the chapters about? Like, what is the process that I need to engage with with myself first as I go to write this so that it's not just like, well, I'm writing a book and that seems too large of a statement. Like, how do I break this down into smaller bite sizes and figure out how to process it first myself and then actually execute it? So it was a challenge, but I'm glad that I went through it. And of course, as you do anything new, you learn what to do and how to move through things so that it becomes easier the next time. Excellent. I mean, that's, that's terrific. great that's points. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm bowing down to you right now because I think, <laughs> no, because. Well, let's get encouragement. No, one of the, yeah, one of my hardest things in life has always been, I have a lot of interest. I have a lot of things that, and I always get typecast into one thing, but I really, it took me, took me too late in my career to get to the point where I can actually use my abilities for too long. I didn't. And, and, I, mm-hmm. and that's something that took me you know, way too long till I got too, way too old. And, and, but guess what? Now, now I'm happy. So it, it, yeah. it is important. And I wish that that's something we need to convey to the younger, younger generation to, you know, make sure you do things that will make you happy because in the end of the day, you're going to do better. You're going to be better at what you do because you're happy in doing it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Just because you're a certain age, like, I mean, I got a lot of that, you know, you should be happy where you are in life because of your age already. And I'm like, I mean, that's, that's sweet and all for you to say to me, but like <laughs> there, there's more to me than just that. And mm-hmm. so I'm kind of like, Brian, I'm glad I'm, I'm finally in a position and, you know, in a company where I, I can use my talents uh, for good, right? Not for evil, yeah. but no, for, just, yeah, for evil would be tough. No one ever comes to me to ask me to do, hey, do you want to be in a, hey, we have this corporation here and we do a lot of evil things. So you want to join? No one ever, for some reason, they never asked me for that. Well, Dr. Doofenshmirtz approached me one time, but I said no. But no, anyways, uh, yeah. But I, to, I, anyways, without going longer, Mike, I totally resonate with that. And I think that's a great message is just because we have separate interests doesn't mean those are separate parts of ourself. It's, it is ourself and expressing those parts of ourself make up who we are you know, yeah, absolutely. the different, different weaves of the same thread there. So great stuff. So Brian, we were going to talk a little bit about art in itself on, you know, Disney property or Walt Disney world, or that's, that's kind of where my list is gathered. Yeah, so I would say, well, yeah, let's talk about like our top five piece, like, you know, works of art or, or artistic things that you can find at Walt Disney world that sometimes people don't notice. And then we'll, um, we'll break into uh, more about Mike's book. Cause I think it's something that we, uh, that people would want to hear about because it, it is, it is, you know, again, I can, the only reviews I have are myself and my daughter Mackenzie who does come on the show sometimes, but um, she, you know, she really liked it a lot. She actually came in my, my room the other day and was like, wow, this is really good. So hmm. let's, let's talk about these. Uh, so I'll start Evan, because I, I have one that I, that's been, that's always been my number one. And I, and I just, every time I go, 
I, I just I'm, I'm in awe at it because it's just, it just it tells a story and and um, it might not be in, in your top five, but it's definitely in my top five. It's the wall the wall mural in the Contemporary Resort. Um, it yep. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was on my list. Oh, it is? Okay, good. Yep. Because a lot of people walk by and they don't even notice it. And it is amazing. And it tells a story. And it's, uh, it's, and it's been there since what the, the the first day that the park opened. And um, it's just really good. People just walk. I just, I have actually sat there in the morning sometimes when we stayed at the hotel and I sat there eating breakfast. And I just watched people walking by and no one even notices it's there. And I'm like, guys, you're missing. What are you looking? You got to look. Open your eyes, please. And it, it is just gorgeous. And if you if you if you you know if you've ever seen it and you spent the time to look at it, you're going to be shocked on what you see inside. You got to look. You got to really look look in detail. They're too busy making their genie reservations, Brian. There you go. There you go. That's it. <laughs> yeah, but Mike, what's your thoughts on that mural? I mean, Mary Blair. You know, she has a lot of tie-ins to Disney and the brand. Yeah, you know, honestly, um, some of the things may be a little bit deeper cut for me. Um, and I've been to Disney uh, a bunch of times, but typically when I'm with a group of people or even when I was with my kids when they were younger, I'm not able to really appreciate some of the finer things like that. So I might have actually been one of those people who walked by <laughs> and didn't actually, you know, notice or, or fully appreciate uh, in full disclosure. disclosure. Now, but now so, he's got what we're saying, so what we're saying is you need to come down, Mike. And since I live an hour away, we're going to go do an art tour of Walt Disney oh, World property. Oh, I love that. That would be amazing. That's what we need yes. to do. That's what we yes. need to do. But then yeah, we can Mary do like Blair's a live has, podcast. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we 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 should and we could. That would be awesome. But yeah. exactly, yeah. Mary Blair has a lot of tie-in. Well, she's probably for those who don't know. I mean, and they've actually redone a lot of touches in the contemporary lobby lobby with that mural and other artwork of hers. And she also is you know directly responsible for all the small world dolls, that kind of stuff. She you know has been a, a historic artist for the Walt Disney Company for a long time. Um, so I'll, I'll go to the next one on my list. I don't know if, okay. actually, this is interesting to me. And I asked Emily, my wife, I said, you know, what would you pick if this was a topic you were talking about? So she mentioned the mosaic artwork that is in the castle, right? As you're walking uh-huh. through that's on my list, <laughs> the middle of the castle, you see the beautiful, um, mosaic that's, that's there, that artwork. Right. And, you know, just an interesting piece about this, uh, this was Dorothea Redmond, she was the one that designed it. Now, of course, they used a couple different people to bring it all together. But this is five 15 by 10 foot panels in a million pieces of multicolored Italian glass, real silver and 14 karat gold. So that's what makes up this mural of mosaics in in the uh, in the walkthrough there. But Dorothea Redmond has a long history. She's helped a lot with Disney. She's uh, she joined WDI. I think in the sixties or something. And she, before that she was Alfred Hitchcock films. She was doing all kinds of stuff, but then she joined WDI and it was devoted just to Disney. And so she made a lot of what we see today realize with different artwork and different paintings. And people said she would do watercolor paintings of world showcase. And they would just like come to life, jump right off the page at you, make you feel like you were there. So it seems like she was a pivotal part of the history of the, of the company and of Walt Disney world, which is really neat. And that's another one that people tend to walk right by all the time. Um, they walk by and they don't realize it. And they, hey, go back and look at that. Did you even notice that? Because they're so they're so anxious to get through there and into, into Fantasyland, they don't even look. It is amazing. It's an ama- another. It's another one. I just. It's amazing how they were able to do that in that short of a time, but also the fact that no one's damaged it after all these years. 
Yeah, that is surprising. That's I expect people to be there like with a, with a screwdriver trying to pop a couple pieces out to bring home for souvenirs. Throw their resort mug at it, you know, when they're arguing yeah, about their glitch in their Wi-Fi. Brian, but, uh, I think your, your your New Jersey is showing. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's 100%. 100%. That's funny. What was next on your list, Brian? So the next one is another interesting one, and, and it's another um, same things that people probably don't even see. So if you go to Epcot and you go to China, and you go into the where they where they have the the movie. But before you go in, you go into the movie, there's this gigantic uh, circular building that you're in, and they sometimes they have they have tumblers in there and stuff. But you're you're waiting for the actual movie. But you're in this immense hall, and if you look up at the ceiling, it is amazing. The the all the work, the artwork up there, and and the designs is just really cool. I've actually taken pictures of it. It's just so so amazing. And I know that's another thing people just don't tend to look at, but somebody must have spent a ton of time, you know, designing and creating that and, and putting it up and, you know, getting it out there and keeping it up. Um, it is, I know that the people there in that exhibit were always very proud of it. It's, it's gorgeous. And I think that's, that's one of my other, like, you know, don't miss if we do, if we do the art tour, that's one of them that's got to be on that list because it's so cool. That would be really cool to do the art tour. Actually, now that we're talking about it. Yes, I know. <laughs> this is something we're going to come up with something new out of this now. Yeah, that's right. Um, so here's here's where you can come back in and give your thoughts, Mike, on something. So the rest of my list, I I have never been one. I've always been very, I hate to say this because this is offensive, but I've been very bored with art museums. <clears throat> so if I look at, uh, you know, like a, a piece of art on paper or on canvas or on some sort of medium that is, is flat. I, I don't get as much enjoyment as I get looking at art that is, um, I would consider more natural art. I don't know all the, the actual terms for it, but, you know, art that's made from nature or uh, architectural art or art that is, for example, I have on my list, the resort lobbies, just the resort lobbies, period like the Wilderness Lodge, the idea of having to um, craft a masterpiece such as that lobby or, or Animal Kingdom Lodge, you know, any of these grandiose lobbies with um, having to just even like furniture placement, though, right? And you're having to, to put lamps. You're having, I mean, all of this goes into the design of what the lobby looks like. And you, you're looking at it from I'm sure so many different people looking at with different angles who put this stuff together to kind of paint the perfect picture, which you think is weird. You're painting the picture with chairs and with rugs, but you are, that's what makes the whole scene together. And that's the kind of artwork I appreciate the most, which is kind of that. It's like a realized vision that has happened right in front of you. You know, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are just like, I'm going to go sit in the chair, you know? So I I know you (laughs) mentioned Mike, that you're mostly, illustrator is kind of your background, but, you know, dabble in some of that other kind of art and stuff like that, or appreciation for, for that kind of stuff too, I guess, or any, any of those comments. Each one, each one is unique though. Each one is, unique. they are definitely, yeah, definitely not <clears throat> meaning to right. put them together, but they are no, a similar great. kind of art. Wilderness you know? Lodge is a work. I, I agree. Wilderness Lodge is a work of art. I actually had the, uh, on my list, I don't, I'm going to jump around because I had on my list, the, uh, the DVC, lobby from the wilderness lodge because that's got all the wooden sculptures in it and everything like that too but that that big lobby is is amazing it's like i'm in awe every time i'm in there and it it, like other people don't even realize it they just go right by 
Um, a lot of it is awareness too, but all those lobbies yeah. that you talked about, every one of them. Is, well, is you know, I, I'd love to to just chime in for a second here and say, you know, with all the things that, that you see and experience, right, whether it is something that is flat or is something dimensional, um, something more natural, like, you know, the, the, the uh, landscape or, or, you know, shrubs, the greenery sculpted into some things, um, or if it's, you know, a piece of artwork in a frame on a wall that's someplace to, mo you know, mosaics and murals, like all these things, I think the reason why they catch our attention is because we find them relatable in some way. And that goes with whether or not we, we do or don't like something or something does land with us or not. I think there's something that, that strikes us about this piece of art in whatever form. And it reminds us of something or it speaks to us in a certain way that tells us like, Oh, th this feels right. This, I feel like somebody's getting me right now. Like I feel there's something relatable right here. And, um, I think that's why you can move in and out of these different spaces and get so many different um, touch points and people can have different touch points, right? Like as you guys are, are even attesting to um, the, the, the places that speak to you and how they speak to you and the, the craftsmanship or the storytelling, like all those things go into all this stuff. So I think it's, it's fascinating that all the stuff, regardless of how it was actually executed, it was all intentional. Right. And so that's where your design piece comes in. And it was well thought out. And it was also thought about in terms of like, how is someone going to interact with this piece? It's not mm -hmm. simply like, hey, I feel like this is a self-expression thing and I'm just going to put it on the wall and whatever someone takes away, they take away. Like there was thought about how is someone going to actually interact with what it is that I'm creating? Like, what's the end of this look like and then kind of starting from that and working backwards to even, you know, those things are fascinating to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause the first, your first, it's your first experience to that building, right? To walk into that gigantic lobby and, or the lobby and the view and the design, it's going to, it's going to paint an impression on you, whatever you see. Uh, and I, I think in the ones we were told, you were just talking about all of those have amazing, it's just you you know you remember the, the first time like when you walk through those doors especially like both animal kingdom lodge and and wilderness lodge have the same type of giant doors with a hallway so you're in a dark hallway then all of a sudden these giant doors open and then you have this immense lobby with like you know nine ten floors high and it's amazing yeah, yeah. it's done for a reason like mike was saying it's, yep. it's there's a reason why they did that absolutely yeah that's that's a great point I mean, and, and you're right. This is the first time walking in. Is is reminds me of, you know, you start a job for the first time, and how much do you really retain in that first thirty days? You know, you walk in that building for the first time, and then you walk, start walking in the second, the third time, and then you start noticing, you're you're focusing in on the detail, and that's where you get to see the true kind of appreciation behind the craftsmanship or the art, and in, in those ways, because you're you are you're honing in on those specific details, you know, and, and that's. That's really the, the cool part about it. So I guess that was one of mine, Brian. That's a great, I, that's I a only have one more on my list. So. No, that's okay. I have a couple more, but that, that's fantastic. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in that same note here. So I am going to say, and it's going to, so it will be a little bit different than what you said, because it's going to show, it's going to have some works of art that are on in frames, but the atrium in the beach club resort is amazingly designed. It's set up terrific. Uh, it's, it's very memorable. Hardly anybody ever goes in there. And 
you know, there's a really pretty Ariel statue outside, which is another piece of art that people don't get to see that much. But there are paintings on that wall. Now it's the boardwalk. It's or I mean, sorry, it's the beach club. It's kind of supposed to be New Jersey, so I'm going. I'm pulling that New Jersey out of me again. But <laughs> there's some there's some paintings on the walls there that are, that are very well known, and I've had tour guides saying, "Hey, did you go and see those pictures? Because they're um, they're about you know like the short and you know I don't know the 20s and 30s or whatever." But there's hidden Mickey's in the in the paintings. They they pur- purposely put them in the paintings, and but they're just so cool. They resonate with me, and and I again I. I have to pretty much every trip I go by and look at them again. I'll take a couple of pictures of them, but I just have to see them. It's part of, because I really like it because I feel it back. Now, when I go to the boardwalk hotel, which is supposed to be more New Jersey, I think in a lot of ways, I don't get that feeling because it looks like it's more of a carnival and, but they have a really pretty lobby and the lobby is great, but they have those really creepy, creepy creepy chairs in there if you've ever seen them and i just don't understand why somebody would want to have those chairs with the really creepy faces on them <laughs> um and, and that's that's another thing too so i it, it's so funny how that, that there's a negative there like the beach club i go in there i have this really positive feel i go in that atrium i'm like wow this is kind of me right i like this i like this whole setup i can go in there and just hang out and enjoy myself then i go to the boardwalk you know, lobby and I'm walking by and I'm like, Oh, whoa, what is that? And they're so creepy. And I, every morning, like that's, that's the last trip. Every morning I was out there trying to do my stupid, uh, um, your genie uh, did my, my genie yeah, plus in the morning. And I'd be sitting on those, those creepy chairs. Cause I would, that had the best, that was the best coverage in the building to stand over there. They had the best, they had the best wireless coverage. <laughs> and you sit there and watch these creepy chairs. And I'm like, why would they have this here? I don't understand this, but, Everybody has their own their own things that they like, you know, the impressions that help them, and that that's not not one for me. But it, obviously, I remember it. <laughs> Is it like a New yeah. Jersey creepy? Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like the old Asbury Park. Remember the old Asbury Park? Yes. Um, that face, yeah, it's like that, yes. but it's on the back of a chair. But it, it's like a creepier version of it. Yeah, I have a picture of it. I, I'm going to post it. I have a picture of it. I, I was just, I would go by that every day and I'm like, oh my goodness, what is, why do they have this here? It's just crazy. Yeah, it's well, worth seeing, Mike. It's worth seeing. If you haven't seen it, it's worth seeing. The last one on my list is, um, oh, and I'm going to totally cheat with this too. But yeah. this is, I'm going to say living with the land. All right. This is art for several reasons. One, you know, we talked about the storytelling piece, and this is where I'm cheating because you can throw a ton of attractions or all attractions into this this art bucket in a way, especially the good ones that are purposeful in storytelling. And, you know, not just you walk in and you're you're watching a screen for a minute or something like, you know, the, the Pixar shorts that you go to next to Journey of the Imagination with Figment or the Mickey and Minnie Runaway Railway shorts, like not the ride itself, but in the the building over there near where you meet Olaf, you know, you're going into a room, you're watching a, a movie. It's that itself is art, but the experience or that attraction is not art. I'm talking about the actual rides, like where you have to craft an experience like a haunted mansion or a pirates or, you know, fill in the blanks. Same thing with living in the land. And this is where nature as art comes in for me. And I can't believe I've not done the behind the seeds tour yet, but how even gardening and how, you know, of course they put art, out there, you know, for different seasons, like at Christmas, they have wreaths that are made, that they, they make from vegetation in its own art form, right? But just how that, because if you say, hey, Evan, 
go create a boat ride in a garden. I'm going to have you in a John boat with poison ivy scratching your leg. Like, you know, that's like what my brain can do. But then they come up with this beautiful experience that takes you through the story of how, you know, Disney sees gardening and nature and the stories of of different farmers. And and they bring you through this whole experience and then they show you their greenhouses that are artistic in itself and how stuff is laid out. So, you know, that's kind of how I turn logistics into art in my brain too. And I think, you know, you can, that's where I cheat by throwing a bunch of attractions in there, but I think that can definitely be stated that, you know, imagineering itself is an art form and how they make, everything into into art you know in this in this case my specific case it was vegetation into art agriculture into art and that's just it's so cool to me and that's i think the uh everyone sees is is a five minute attraction wait you know i go in there and um just ride it and it's something to do while i'm waiting for soren's weight to go down you know but it's it's so cool just to kind of take it has a cult cult following though so you you know it does I know. So it, yeah. it is building. It is building. People are appreciating it more. And they that, are. That's, and that means because people appreciate it for it, for what it's worth. Yeah, you're right. It's a good one. It's a good yeah. one. Um, I'll go. I have a, I have a couple of quick ones that we can go with. Like this, this really quick. There's a, this, again, this is worth going to see. There's a table in the Artist Point restaurant right before you get in the entranceway that it's, it's a Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs it's all sculptured it, it it has the it tells the whole tale in like bronze um it is amazing it's i mean it's i just every time i go I'm like i would like to buy that i wonder how much it costs it, it's yeah. so cool um and again I, these are the kind of little touches that i love about disney in a lot of ways there's the, you know those are the things that you remember and Again, I guarantee you so many people walk by and don't even look at it. But I make sure I go look at it all the time because it's just, it's so wild. But the other thing that really, and, and one of the, the things, again, this is an art form, and I think it's so cool. Well, And I hope they're not getting rid of it because I'm waiting. Because I know, obviously, with the new the new Moana exhibit, that's going to be, that's really like Which is art, it's art itself, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say that, but yeah. Okay. But the dancing water is it, did that go away or is that still there? For in Epcot, the dancing water. It is, yeah, behind the, next to Figment. So, yep. So to me, that was always in a, a something that was so unique, and it, in a lot of way, like water design is a form of art. Yeah, absolutely. It was so unique at the time when you know, you know, how long has that Epcot's been around for forty years? When it first opened, not, nothing existed like that. It was so people would go would stand around just to watch the water jump all over the place. And then, then they got used to it after a while. But I, I remember you, it was standing room only to watch water design. It was that cool. And, and it was that amazing. And it's still there and it's still amazing. And I, you know, yeah, maybe some of the, maybe some of the spouts are a little bit rusted and, and old, but it is, it's still to this day, I look at it and all, and I will stop and look at it and watch it. And, and like, how did they invent this? How did they do this? And how did they keep it running for 40 years? Like, it, it is amazing. And it's worth, like, that's the kind of stuff that I think when you talk about, like, a true Disney fan versus a non-true Disney fan or not. I mean, I, I'm not going to, I never want to question anybody's percentage of being a Disney fan. But there are certain types that look for those little things because that's the stuff that makes it unique compared to a Six Flags or a yeah, uh, absolutely. Or a Wild West City or a, uh, 
or Keensburg Boardwalk. I mean, it's just, it's not, you know, not, nothing against those places, but they're not, they're not Walt Disney World, right? So. Absolutely. Well, that's it on my list. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, we. I think we did some good things. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot more folks and there's a, there's a ton more and you know i'd love to hear you know anybody anybody on the in the listening to the podcast please send us your comments and we because we we definitely will we can expand upon that we can chat about it but there are more there are a ton more and it, it's um you know limiting it to five but i i like to look at the things that people i know pass by and they shouldn't they you know they like why why'd you you just walk right by an incredible thing why didn't you even look at it you know they don't even know they just go right by um but, yeah mike brennan yeah yes <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely we gotta arrange something. I gotta bring you to show you some of these <laughs> things so you can see why they then I'll watch I'll watch I show it to him and he's like, eh, that's not much. <laughs> you know, in in my that? defense, in my defense though, there's a lot of stimulation going on in those environments. And so you know, you you could very easily get distracted by other things that are a little more demanding of your attention, I'll just say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like your children, about. which is very yeah, adamant. That yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah. But hey, yeah. speaking of, let's let's talk about your book just for a few minutes. So tell everybody, mm-hmm. you know, I guess for fairly quickly the, the premise and, you know, maybe what led you, we talked a little bit, you know, that whole backstory of, of writing it and stuff like that, but just the book itself and thoughts behind it and, and where people can find it. Yeah. So it's called Make Fun a Habit, the creative playbook for making life and work fun again. And this all started with me honestly examining my own life and going like, there are places that I feel like fun has left the building. Um, And going like, how can I start to recapture some of that and re-inject some of that, even into places that seem the least likely place to have fun, right? Because we all have things we need to do that are just mundane or we just don't like doing them honestly. And so I started thinking, even as a creative person who makes a living for my creativity, like there are things that I have to do that I either don't want to do or just seem like, you know, I'd rather give it away to somebody else, but I can't or whatever. And I'm like, well, how can I start to inject fun into those places again? And why does fun have to be something that is like the cherry on top after we've worked long and hard And, you know, work, 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 and then you retire. And then you take that trip that you always wanted to take, right? Like that's the mentality. And I'm like, well, what if we called a timeout on that and started to examine and say, if we started to inject small places daily where we could have some fun, we could play, we could experience some creativity, like that could actually change our perspective. It could change our mindset. And so that's really what the book is about is changing our mindset so that we're open to and looking for fun and making fun in areas where, again, maybe it's things that we can redeem towards that, things that don't seem obvious for that. And so the book is is 30 small chapters uh, with an illustration or story that opens up. And then there's uh, a prompt with a very specific activity so people can get really actionable with things, because I think that's really important to inspire people, but then also give them action steps. And then a bunch of questions to ask yourself uh, as you're processing the stuff so that it's not just something you read and put on a shelf, but it's actually like it says, it's a playbook where you could access it maybe multiple times, you know, and um, not even read it cover to cover if you don't want to. Uh, It's really yours to interact with it how you want to and bring yourself to the process that's explained in inside of it. So that at the end of the day, we're all starting to 
become more aware of opportunities that are all around us in order to have more fun, in order to make that a habit, right? Because a habit is something we go back to again and again and again. And so that's the idea is making that a habit, not simply something that we we flirt with every once in a while, or we visit, you know, on occasions when we have a lot of money or a lot of time. Um, but find the small things. And, and when we start seeing those and celebrating those things, we'll actually see a lot more because we're looking and we're open. I think uh, some of the, some of the things that I liked is I liked the, the building blocks of fun and creativity, which I know I've heard you talk about too, but I, I, I really like that. That resonates with me a lot. Um, and I've actually, I've actually bookmarked some pages because I like to look at things and I've actually, Believe it or not, I've, uh, I had one, one two, a couple of my staff look at one of the things, but I also, I also like the, um, the, the part about you getting coal for Christmas one year and then taking it and going outside oh, yeah. and drawing with it. I, so I think that was amazing. And can you, can you just tell, tell our readers that? Just give, us some, give them a quick uh, listener, our listeners um, a quick snippet on that because I, I thought that was sure. really cool. Yeah, you know, and and really what that chapter is talking about is is being resourceful, right? And it's and it's taking things and and kind of again redeeming things, right? That don't seem like they could be. So for Christmas one year, um, I don't even remember how old I was, but me and my sister, my older sister, we we got as a gag gift from Santa, right? Uh, we got lumps of coal. And so my parents thought, you know, this is going to be great. We'll give this to them. They'll open it. Their faces will sink. You know, we'll have a good laugh. We'll take some pictures. And then, you know, it lives in, in the stories that get handed down and talked about at family gatherings and all that kind of stuff. Well, what they didn't anticipate was me being the creative person that I am. I opened it and I looked at it and I was like, okay, cool. It's a lump of coal. And then I went actually in our garage and I started drawing on the floor with the lump of coal. <laughs> and so for me, it became, yeah, it became something that was a tool in my hand rather than something that was, you know, supposed to be seen as bad or, you know, the gag gift. Um, I kind of took that and turned it around to, to be something else. So, yeah, it's, it's, again, it's, it's about how you approach something, how you see something and what you do in response to that. Right. Very cool. I I highly recommend it, guys. And I'm not doing this just because because I know Mike. I, you know, again, my daughter, she's not on, but um, if she was on, she would tell you the same thing. It's it's interesting as you start going through it. At first, you start and you go, and it's chapter by chapter, and it is broken up in a certain way. And you're like, you want to keep going, and you're like going through it all, and you're going through. It. And then you, the thing is, he does it in a way that you want to go back and look at it later too, because you because certain things you remember and you're like, yeah, what did he talk about with that? And they go back again. So I, I love the way you have it set up. It's very unique compared to most books, but it makes it easier to find things. And especially mm -hmm. if there's a certain chapter that resonates with you, because not like, again, every chapter doesn't resonate with every person that you, and you want to, exactly. you want to get something. So every once in a while something clicks and you're like, wow, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about or Hey, he doesn't, but no, but in most cases you <laughs> did. And, um, I'm a, you know, I have this, I have a lot of the same personality traits, whereas I'm, I'm, uh, I always try to make the best of everything. And, and, you know, I, I've always been that, that person to try to be as fun as I can and make, and make the environments I work with and the people that work for me and everything to make things fun because life's too short mm -hmm. and that's, and it's important. You have to be that otherwise, otherwise you get too stressed out. And, and, and I like that about that, Mike, I do, I do appreciate you for that because it, it is something that I believe in too. So, yeah. 
Yeah. I wanted to make it as accessible for everyone as possible so that no one could say, well, you know, this is, this book isn't for me. You know, I don't want to have fun. I don't, I can't relate to fun, right? Everybody has some kind of fun that they like. And so if we, again, be intentional about it, right? Going back to that conversation, um, then we can start to access it in a way that it starts to work for us and that it starts to show up more and more and more. And we're actually starting to enjoy life more. We're actually having some, some great experiences and building memories with people and having stories to share. And just, you know, again, like really having fun to the, to the way that we, we feel like our days are, are fulfilling and life matters and we're enjoying it the best we can. And I think really, especially today with so many things that, that are going sideways and upside down and on fire, we need as many of these messages as possible to, to tell people, look, let's have fun. Let's laugh. Let's come together and celebrate and, and help each other, you know? It's a great philosophy, and it's if uh, more people felt that way, I think life would be a lot easier. Because there's just, I, you know, I've worked in a stock firm. I've I've dealt with, you know, the intense intensity all day of people going nuts and stressing out and getting heart attacks and and nervous breakdowns and like that's not me. That wasn't mm-hmm. that wasn't a great fit for me. I was like I I couldn't wait to get out of there. Um, I need to be able to smile and have a good time and laugh and, and, and enjoy myself. If I don't do that, then I'm not happy. But there are some people that don't care, right? Like, and, and, and Evan, right? you know, we all know people in our lives who yep, yep. Are, are, they just, they push, 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 push. And then all of a sudden they're, you know, 40 years old, they have a heart attack and they, they I, I, you know, and there are there, something happens and now they're, they lose all their money and now they're like, oh, what do I have to do now? And, and it's mm-hmm. because they didn't, they didn't take the time to do things the right way. Um, it's hard though. It's a hard, sometimes it's a hard lesson for people. It really is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And things like your book help catapult people back into that, you know, Hey, wake up a little bit, you know, jump out of the machine and grab life by the horns. And, you know, whether that's a career change or, you know, whatever needs to happen there, um, you make that change in other words, you know? Yeah. 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 I think it starts with you as an individual having agency and ownership over yourself. And when you can learn to be a student of yourself, to learn what you consider to be fun, to learn what's important to you, what your values are, how you want to show up in the world, like all those things contribute to this stuff. And then it's, okay, here's some tools to help you carry that out. Um, because then it doesn't matter if you're talking about home life, if you're talking about work life, it doesn't talk, you know, like wherever you go, there you are. So why not be the best version of yourself as possible? And then you benefit and the people around you benefit. Right. And so like, that's really what I'm trying to encourage people to do is to come really around that kind of mindset, to be open, to be, uh, active and, and, and engaged with this process so that you can start to see some of those results. And again, you know, who doesn't want to have more fun, right? So I think everybody wins. Yeah, just, just Scrooge. That's about it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Girls just want to have fun. That's what came yeah, to my yeah. mind. That, that is true. Hey, welcome yes. to the mind of Evan and Brian. I'm sorry you're here, Mike. <laughs> no, actually, last thing, tell people where to find the book or the easiest place to find it or your website or anything like that. Yes. Yeah. So the, the easiest place is to go to uh, makefunahabit.com. And from there, you can purchase a signed copy from me in either paperback or hardcover. It's also available on Amazon. If you uh, have prime shipping or you, you know, you just want to buy it from that, you can certainly go there 
And then there's also on Make Fun Habits, some resources that I put together that are additional kind of fun freebies, I'm calling them, which um, there's a free Spotify playlist that is all with songs that are fun, at least in my opinion. Uh, there's a downloadable coloring page and there's a, um, I don't know if you remember like the old Mad Libs, I'm not calling it Mad Libs to avoid yeah, any libs. legal yes, entanglements, yes. but I'm calling them Fun Libs. <laughs> right? There you go. Yeah. You, oh yeah. Those are basically, fun. Yeah. You, you fill in the blanks, right. And you play with somebody else. And so I, I uh, designed my own around the book and this experience. And so people can download that and, and, have some fun with that as well. Again, really, it's just giving people resources, giving them a place to go to to get some of these things um, so that we have multiple access points on fun because some people are going to resonate with a playlist. Other people are going to resonate with maybe like a word puzzle thing, you know, but at the end of the day, as long as we're engaging, uh, that's really what matters. So, yeah. Well, the other the other thing, too, is really quick. So the concept behind daily creative habit is another one. I know you don't want to talk, I know you keep talking. I don't. You keep talking for twenty more hours, but it, it's <laughs> that that whole that whole concept. So is that another another website, or is that how does that? Yes. So people well, see, should be okay. worried about that because I think that's another whole amazing thing. That could that be a whole other episode. Do. Yeah, yeah. Um, daily creative habit comes out of my own creative journey in which I identified a framework that helped me and I kind of uncovered it by accident, honestly, and then realized this can be helpful for other people in the creative process. And so if people go to dailycreativehabit.com, uh, I have a journal that is there uh, available for people and they can sign up for a free email newsletter where I send out prompts, uh, daily prompts where people can engage with you know all sorts of creative activities. Um, and I share, you know, again, parts of my story and journey creatively. And uh, again, all designed so that I'm encouraging people to show up and create something. Like I believe everybody's creative. We just need to blow up the definition of creativity so that it's not just simply drawing, painting, music, performing arts, because you can be creative if you're, you know, the way you organize something. You can be creative in how you cook a meal, the clothes you wear, how you organize your life. Um, and so if we start to, to broaden that sense of what creativity is, I think people can find their place in it. And then again, be intentional about showing up and creating things that have their fingerprints all over it, getting those things out into the world. So again, everybody wins because they're creating things that only they can create. And then people are the recipients of those things. So daily creative habit is the call to basically show up every day and create something, be in the process. Yeah, I love this too. I love this great, great philosophy. And and folks, I will I will include all the links um, in the in the the show notes, so you can go and you know check this out because I, I highly recommend it. Um, and uh, you know, again, he he uh, he talks the talk, and so he you know he lives this. He's not this is not this is not a fake fake person who comes in and you know tells you a philosophy but doesn't follow it. He he lives this, so which which is really cool. Super well, thank cool. you. Mike, yeah. yeah, thank Mike, you yeah. so much, Mike, for coming. Thank you on. so much, Mike. Yeah, we really yeah, appreciate been... you spending time with us. This has been a lot of fun. Um, you know, maybe we'll get you on again. We'll find another reason for you to come on again any time that you want to come on. Let us yeah. know. Um, and, well, that uh, that you know that artwork, the art uh, tour in in Disney yeah. really has my attention too. <laughs> so <laughs> I would love love to to be a part of that kind of thing. So if that gets off the yeah. ground, you know, I want I want a call. <laughs> okay, we, we you'll, we'll, you'll get a get call. One. Trust you'll me, definitely get one. Definitely. I need another excuse to go to Walt Disney World. Okay. There you go. Yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, so again, yep, Mike, we appreciate you. And of course, we can keep this conversation going in our Facebook group. So a spoonful of podcast 
Spoonie Nation. That is on Facebook, and that's where we kind of go. That's where we live for the most part in interacting with the Spoonies, and that's where we kind of foster conversations and, and kind of keep the shows going, keep the shows alive as we move forward. So if there's topics that you're interested in and talking about, that's where we go to do it. So find us there on Facebook. We're also on Instagram and Twitter as well. You can email us info at a spoonful of podcast.com. Lastly, please don't forget to rate and review the show, share it with your friends. And we really appreciate you for listening every week and for getting us up to 161 and hopefully even more going. So without further ado, broadcasting from the backside of water until next time we'll see you then take care everybody thank you for listening to a spoonful of podcast you can find show notes ways to follow us on social media and all episodes on a spoonful of now that you've experienced the magic it's time for the most dangerous part of our podcast the return to civilization Backside of water, where Fudgy the Whale and Cookie Puss live. <laughs> <laughs>